Well, good morning. Y'all said you wanted more tempo, so we added drums. <laughs> All right, today we're uh, finishing up our 12-week Summer in the Psalms series. Uh, we've been looking at a psalm each week and seeing how we can apply them to our lives. This week we're going to look at Psalm 145. So it's the first time we've actually gone backwards uh, in the Psalms because we did 146 last week. But uh, this psalm really kind of wraps up everything that we've been talking about through the whole series. And really the focus throughout the series has been on worshiping God. And we've talked a lot about our faith and trusting God. We're in times of need and trouble, even in times of good. And with Psalm 145, we're going to look at having a lifestyle of worship, praising God with our lives every day, exalting Him, because He is worthy to be exalted. That's how we're going to wrap up our series, by looking at God's greatness and also God's goodness, because they're actually two different things, and why should we should worship Him forever. Psalm 145 is another acrostic psalm. So we talked about this with, I think, what, one... Oh my God, 119. Um, with Psalm 119, it's an acrostic. So in Hebrew, each of the lines begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so there are 22 letters. But if you look in your Bibles, you're going to see that Psalm uh, 145 actually only has 20 verses, which means that there is a missing letter, um, which is the letter Nun, uh, which is the Hebrew N. There are some ideas as to why there's a missing letter, and some agree with what J. Vernon McGee has to say about it. He writes, why would there be one verse left out of Psalm 145? He writes, I think it speaks of the fact that our praise is imperfect. McGee believes that when Christ returns, it's only when Christ returns, that the chorus will be correct and complete. But until then, it's going to be imperfect. And this leaving out one of the letters in the alphabet just kind of helps to see that. Now we know from the title of the psalm that this is a psalm of praise, and it is attributed to King David, and it's the last psalm that is said to be from King David, because the next five from 146 through 150 are called the Hallelujah Psalms, and they close out the entire Psalter, and they are anonymous. All right, so let's dig in. So we're going to look at verses one and two first as kind of an introduction to this psalm. Verse 1, Psalm 145 says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. So there's three phrases here that David uses to say what he's going to do with regard to the Lord. He will exalt God. He will praise the Lord's name. Praise gets mentioned twice. And he will extol his name. So David's really kind of saying the same thing four times. He says he's going to exalt God the king. To exalt means to hold something or somebody in high regard. And David is the anointed king of Israel, and yet he adores God as king. And so he's going to exalt the Lord as king. David's also going to praise the Lord's name forever. But not just forever. He says forever and ever, because apparently forever is just not long enough. So you've got to add the extra and ever on there. But really, that, that's the point of why he's writing that. As, as the commentator writes, David's forbidding the idea of a close to the praise. It is going to last for eternity. But being able to do that, to praise the Lord for eternity, you've got to start somewhere. 
And for David, he's going to start doing it every day, day by day, praising God. Best time to start something is right now, today. Author and speaker John Maxwell writes in his book, Today Matters, today is the only time that you have. It's too late for yesterday, and you can't depend on tomorrow. So if you're going to praise the Lord, start now. Start today. Today and every day. Forever and ever. Because he is worth the praise, as we're going to see, as we look at his greatness in verses 3 through 6. Verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness none, no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. The Lord is great. Now the word translated in the Old Testament is it can mean like great, large, high, vast, and, and even more. Word is used in creation when it's describing the sun and the moon as the two great lights in the skies that God has made, or the great creatures of the sea, or when the Lord promised to make Abraham into a great nation. It's something grand and vast, and because God is that, God is great, he is worthy of praise. Well, a lot of times when we talk about something being great, it seems daunting to be able to picture just how great it is, right? But we've devised ways to study and comprehend more the things which are great, like the sun and the moon, for example. You know, we've got an understanding about those two objects in space. We, we have a better understanding of their size, their composition, etc. And we can make those things a little understandable, at least as best we can. But David says that God's greatness, no one can fathom it. No one can fully comprehend the Lord because he is outside space and time. He is an infinite being, and we are not. See, we had a beginning, and we are very limited. So while we're able to have some understanding of God through his revelation to us in his word, we will just never fully fathom his greatness. And because of his greatness, though, he is, he is worthy. Because of that, you know, he is worthy to be praised by generations. I really enjoyed when we've had our fifth Sunday services. Uh, you know, we had one not too long ago, but our, all of our families come in and worship together. Like, we bring all the kids in here except for the babies, uh, although we still have some babies in here. Um, but, you know, when we get all the kids in here, that can be pretty fun, right? Uh, they seem to really enjoy the music, and then they put up with the sermon as best they can. Like, I know the last one we had, we had some of the kids that were crying and struggling getting through the sermon, and one was, another one of the little kids is like, it's okay, it's almost over. <laughs> I'm like, and I was, I was almost done, but I don't know how she knew, but she knew. <laughs> the point of that is to say that, you know, we've been a church where we've had different generations worshiping here together. Um, you know, you see it up on the stage today. We've got high school kids and, and older people like Casey. <laughs> You're in eyesight, sorry. <laughs> and um, I threw myself off. I wasn't ready. But, you know, we, we, we just have generations that worship together. And, you know, we've, we've had that for a long time. And, I mean, we've got people who have been coming to Maple Grove 
you know, as where they came as kids, and now their parents bringing their own kids, you know, or, or, you know, we have parents who are bringing their kids who are bringing their grandkids here, and they've been part of this church for, for a long time. And soon, you know, those people who are bringing their kids, they're going to be the ones who are going to be the grandparents that are hopefully seeing their kids and grandkids coming to Maple Grove. What David speaks to in verse 4 is that one generation passes down the stories of God to the next generation. They talk about the Lord's works and his mighty acts, the splendor of his majesty, the power demonstrated in his work. And what we see is the older generation working to help the younger generation with their faith and with praising God, to tell them about God's nature in his works, especially in the works and deeds of the Lord in their personal lives and in how God has worked in them over time. Like that's, the, that's something that all of us who are older can do. Like we can come alongside some of the younger generation in our church and help them better see who God is through what he's done for us. And what we see happen in this passage is that the generation is passing things down, and then the psalmist joins in. So the younger generation joins in. David says he's going to meditate on the Lord's wonderful works. He's reflecting, he's contemplating on them to help deepen his connection with God. In Psalm 143, verse 5, he says, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. But David's not just going to meditate on these works. He's also going to proclaim the great deeds of the Lord. And so he becomes like the older generation, telling others about the things that God has done, telling others of the greatness of God that we see in his wonderful and awesome works and his great deeds. Now, David doesn't explicitly tell us here what these works and deeds are. And so for us, it might be a little difficult to understand how to commend the Lord's actions if we're only looking at what David lists here in Psalm 145, because it's not much. But there are a couple of things that we can look to in order to help share the Lord's deeds with a younger generation. Like, we can show them the scriptures and the depictions of the Lord and what he has done throughout the pages of the Bible. But we can also talk to them about how we've seen God work in our lives. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a walking testament to what the Lord can do. And I'm certain that he has done wonderful works in your life that you can share with others. And who knows? Your story might be the thing that triggers them to, or triggers the Lord. I can't read your story might be the trigger that the Lord uses to get through to that person. That's what I was saying. (laughs) I don't always read it, but, you know. Thanks. (laughs) You're saying I should read it more. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah. uh, Your story could be that thing that gets them to get to know the Lord, right? It, it could be just that one seed that gets planted in their lives to get them to follow Jesus, to follow God. Now, part of this states to uh, speak to God's goodness, which is what we're looking at in the next passage. So we move from God's greatness to God's goodness. It's been quoted many times by pastors, including here, that in C.S. Lewis's masterpiece, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when the children and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are talking about going to go see Aslan, 
the lion who represents God in the story, or Christ in the story, they're understandably a little bit worried because he's, he's a lion. And uh, Lucy asks if he's not safe. And, and Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The Lord is not safe, but he is good. And this next section of Psalm 145 is going to talk about that. Verse 7 says, They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is good, but what does that even mean? According to the Lexham Survey of Theology, God's goodness is the perfection of his nature and moral excellence. And because he is infinite, his goodness is immeasurable. God is described as good in a few different scriptures, many different scriptures. Some examples, Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 25, verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Jesus in Mark 10, verse 18 says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And Nahum 1.7 says the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. So in our passage, we're seeing that the older generations are celebrating God's abundant goodness. When it says celebrate, that word, it means like a bubbling up, like a fountain. Like they can't help it. They've got to celebrate God's goodness. The way it's defined is that it's, it's a frequent and enthusiastic proclamation that God is good. Not only do they celebrate his goodness, but they also joyfully sing of his righteousness. When God acts, he, he acts according to what is right, which he himself is the standard for what is right. That's why all the attributes of God are important. The fact that he is good and he is great and that he is love, those are all important. All these things help us to be able to somehow understand that the standard of righteousness of the Lord is, is a good thing. And we know of that, when we know of that, then we worship him. We praise him. So then we look at verse 8, and verse 8 is that description that God gives of himself that is repeated throughout the Old Testament. It comes from Exodus 34, verse 6, which we'll read here in a second. But Moses asked God to show him his glory and that's how God responds in, in Exodus thirty three nineteen. He says, And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then in Exodus 34, 6, here's the encounter that Moses had with the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And Moses' response to this, he immediately bows down and worships. What God says is repeated in 145 verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. This is who God is. He is full of grace and compassion. And it is infinite. You cannot exhaust the grace of God. 
You cannot exhaust the compassion of God. He's also slow to anger. And I wonder a lot of times we look at Scripture and, and what we see is God's anger. And, you know, we think that he is an angry God, that he's quick-tempered. I think we get that idea because what we're seeing in, as we read through the Old Testament is we're kind of seeing the highlights. We're seeing uh, a story that takes place over hundreds of years. And so we see God get angry, but there's a lot of time that passes in between those. And truly, he is slow to anger. The Lord is patient and long-suffering. That's, that's another way that you can say that he is patient. And he is rich in love. Because God is love. And he loves you. He is compassionate. He's gracious. He is slow to anger. And he is rich in love toward you. 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. God's goodness overflows to his creation. To all of his creation. Unlike human leaders... His goodness extends to all people. The inexhaustible compassion also overflows to his creation. And these are the reasons that we exalt him, why we praise his name forever and ever. So let's talk a little bit more about his greatness. We'll go back to that. Verse 10 says, All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all that he does. I've mentioned in the past, one of my favorite things to do is be around a whole bunch of people singing praises and worshiping God. When it's a big group of guys, that really moves me because it's just something you don't hear very often. But anytime I can be inside a, you know, a large group of people who are, are just praising the Lord, worshiping God, it's awesome to me. Like, that moves me. And, and I want to commend you because like, we have had some pretty awesome worship here uh, for a little while now. And, you know, it, it's been awesome. And there is something where, you know, our worship time has been special. And a few weeks ago, one of the sound guys texted me during one of the songs, and he's like, I don't think I've heard this congregation sing this loud before. <laughs> I'm like... I know. <laughs> and it's been neat. And so thanks to Kyle and all of the worship team that's been leading during this time. Now, there's another time recently where a whole bunch of people got together and worshiped the Lord that, that was great. And it was last year down at Switchyard Park where they were having the, the B-Town worship night. I don't know if anybody here was able to make it to there. Uh, I went with Piercy's and and just had a great time down there. Because it was a group of church, I think five churches or something came together, and they're worship leaders. And they just scheduled this time at Switchyard, got the word out, and I would say hundreds of people probably came to that thing. And it was amazing. It was amazing. They're doing it again this year. They're doing it on the 24th. And so if you can make it, I'd recommend that you go. It's so great that we can worship God on our own as individuals. That's wonderful. I mean, when I come in on Sunday mornings, I've got worship music going, you know, as I'm driving here, and I'm, I'm singing all the way here. But, but there is really something special when people come together for the specific purpose of worshiping God. 
And it's not even just then, but it's all of God's works that are praising the Lord. Psalmist says that your faithful people extol you, enthusiastically praise you, but all of God's works praise him. All of his creation praises him. If we go back to Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. And as we're praising God, as we praise God, as creation praises God, all of it tells of the glory of God's kingdom and and speaks of his might. In verse 13, David writes that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion will endure through all the generations. If you think about the other kingdoms and the nations around Israel at the time, they worshipped their own deity, but their God was only for their kingdom. He or she had no power over the others. They were local, they were limited, and yet God is not just the ruler of the nation of Israel. He is sovereign over everything. And his kingdom will not end. It is everlasting. He reigns as king over all people. As one commentator writes, he says, Because every inch of the universe belongs to his realm, and his rule continues in perpetuity, he is worthy of the allegiance of all humans everywhere and in every generation. The key question for humans, then, is whether they will bow before the Lord's authority or insist on their own authority. Who will be Lord in their lives? That's going to lead us to talk about the second part of God's goodness. What does God do to care for his creation? To care for his people. Understanding that what he does will help us to understand his goodness. And that's exactly what the next passage describes for us. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them food, their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. So what does God do? Well, he upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. We saw this in Psalm 146 where it says a very similar thing. A lot of times we don't want to go to the Lord when we've fallen when we've stumbled or gotten into some sin, we, we, we get ashamed. You have that sin that you know that you should have overcome by now. Like, you just know that. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be stumbling in that sin anymore. That's what we're thinking, right? But we do. But God's still there for you, even when you do that. He, he's there to hold you up when you're struggling. He's there to lift you up when you're bowed down. When you're being humbled or the weight just seems like it's too much, God is there with you. He's not remote. He's not distant. He's there with you, and he is for you. Verses 15 and 16 talk about everybody looking to God, and he provides and satisfies for their needs and desires. Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, he basically says, you know, don't worry about your life what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, your shelter, your clothing, because God cares for you. He'll provide for you and satisfy your needs. 
because you're important to him and he loves you. And so he'll care for you. Now, the next verse in Psalm 145, verse 17, says that the Lord is righteous and faithful. And that's who God is. He cannot be any other way. He is righteous in all his ways. He is faithful in all he does. It's not like a human, you know, when I feel like it, I'll do these things. It is always. That's one thing we see. You'll see the word all is repeated a lot in this passage. I counted 16 times it gets repeated. It just underlies the fact that God's character does not change. That's who he is. And then it kind of repeats, but in a little different phrasing. Verse 18 says the Lord is near to all who, uh, well, I mistyped something. That's a great day for typing. (laughs) Verse 18, Lord is near to all who call on him. I just said all who all on him. (laughs) Verse 19, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry. He saves them. So many examples of that in the Old Testament. Book of Exodus, the Lord heard the cry of his people, and so he rescued them from Egyptian captivity. In the book of Judges, there's the constant cycle where the Israelites go their own way, be their own gods, really do what's right in their own eyes. And then, and then God would basically be like, okay, well, you know, you're going to get conquered now. And they would be. And then they would cry out to the Lord, like, Lord, save us from what you sent. <laughs> Thank you. And he would. Like he would rescue them with a judge. Because God hears and he saves. And he did that 2,000 years ago as well. Because he heard us cry out for a savior. And he sent his only son to rescue us. To die on the cross for us. To take our just punishment. And now we can have access to the father. And live in that everlasting kingdom forever. And then in verse 20. David writes that God watches over all those who love him, but the wicked he'll destroy. I guess you just kind of have to throw that in there, um, you know, just to make sure that you knew that, you know, it's better to be on God's side because he's going to destroy the wicked. But finally, we've got one more verse to close out this psalm. And it's where we go from the personal praise of God, from the small aspect to it, to the universal praise. Verse 21 says, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Personal. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Universal. 21 verses. Doesn't really take long to read this whole passage, but it does give us an appreciation of who God is. And that should lead us to a lifestyle of worship. When we read through this and when we read about God's goodness and God's greatness, I would hope that we would be moved to worship him continually. And what does that look like? That's what they've said. It's exalting God. It's praising his name. It's extolling his name forever and ever. It's passing the stories of our faith down through generations. It's telling our children and our grandchildren about God's works and his splendor. It's celebrating his goodness and singing of his righteousness is joining in with all creation and praising his holy name forever and ever. And really, it's kind of what all of these psalms have been leading us to. To show us who God is 
from the viewpoint of those who had a very close relationship with him, who had ups and downs in their lives. And they weren't shy about writing those down. But they still remained faithful in their devotion to God because they had a lifestyle of worship. And I hope that we can do the same. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just I thank you for just who you are. This psalm, you know, it's 21 verses. It, it barely scratches the surface of it, but it gives us an appreciation for you, Lord, that you are great and, and incomprehensible in some ways but that you are also good and and that you care for us even though you are God of the universe. You know, we are a small, small part of that. And yet you know us. You love us. You've known us from before we were born. You knitted us in our mother's wombs. And you will know us until the day we die and even beyond. And Lord, you loved us so much that you wanted to create a way for us to be reconciled to you, to to come home to you. And you gave us that through Jesus, through his death on the cross. As this time we we take communion, we, we I just pray that we would all take time to just meditate on what that means, that Jesus died for our sins, for the sins of the world, so that we might be with you forever and ever. It is in Jesus' precious name that I pray these things to you. Amen.